How many of you would consider yourselves detailed people? Show of hands, come on. You're allowed to be proud of that. Detailed people. You like to get down to the nitty-gritty details. Got a few out there. Well, I have not really considered myself uh, a detailed person, okay? Um, as we have, Joanne and I, my fiance, have been preparing our wedding, there have been a lot of details that have come up, and some of them, it's not that I don't care, it's that I'm indifferent on which we choose. When it comes to, to flowers, like what kind of flowers, peonies, roses, baby's breath, what, they're flowers, they look nice, they look nice. And colors, colors are nice, but they have to match. I mean, a color is a color. It goes with other colors. <laughs> Why do they need to match? But it, it doesn't matter. Hey, you, Joanna wants them to match. That's great. And, and she's got an eye for that stuff. And when it comes to the, the, the attire, okay, I, I don't really care. I mean, I, I, I care, maybe. I, I don't care if the ring bearer comes down in a, with a suit jacket on or with suspenders on or in his pajamas. I, I'm just glad that he's there. <laughs> and, and I don't necessarily care what I wear. Originally, I was thinking, like, oh, I'll just wear one of my old my suits that I already have. And uh, that, that changed. Which is good, because now I have a different color suit, which I, I needed. And, and originally, I was like, I, I, I didn't really care. But after talking with Joanna, I care now, okay? I do care. And, uh, yeah, I am, I am so thankful uh, to be able to, to marry Joanna. And she, she definitely has an eye for the details. And... And even when it comes to, to house stuff, uh, trying to plan like how our living space is going to look, we, we were talking about it. It was funny. Um, she, she wants to have kind of everything prepped or like an idea of like this looks this well with this. And, and I, I said to her honestly, I said, you know, like I, from pretty much my whole life, it's been I move into a place and it's like, huh, be nice to have a coffee table. So I get a coffee table. Or it'd be nice to have a chair. So I get a chair. Does it match? No. <laughs> but it works. So, and, uh, <laughs> and she said to me, I don't want our house to look like a college boy's room. Something along those lines. And that's fair. That's fair. You know what? I appreciate a nice, well-put-together house. I do appreciate it, and I'm excited that she's going to be able to help that happen, because it would not happen if it was just me. Joanna is a detailed person. I am not. And it's as I've seen the, the beauty that, that she brings into the world with her detail-oriented um, personality, 
that I am reminded how incredibly detailed God is. How incredibly detailed God is in the beauty that he puts in his creation. Now, as you and I have discovered and discover more and more the beauty and the detail in the world around us, in the people around us, this is what I want you to realize this morning, okay, for yourself. God created you because he didn't want a world without you. God created you because he didn't want a world without you. Sometimes it's so easy to see the detail in, in other things, the beauty in other things, and yet we miss out on the fact that God created me because he didn't want a world where I didn't exist. Last week, Pastor Stephen uh, laid out God's plan to be with us, to have a relationship and community with us. He talked about the tent that would serve as a, a reminder to the Israelites that God was with them, and how Jesus became the, the true tent, the, the true God with us. And if we look closer at the really boring parts, kind of mentioned that, the, the really boring parts of all the details of, of how the Jewish scriptures laid out how that tent would be put together, we find incredible detail that many of us don't necessarily appreciate. If you're maybe a tradesperson and you're like looking at all the measurements and stuff, you're like, oh, cool, cool, cool. I look at it and I'm like, not built, built. Awesome. Keep going. And yet, the verse uh, that is written in Exodus at, at the start, Exodus chapter 25, verse 9 says, you must make it according to all that I show you. The pattern of the tabernacle, the, this tent, as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. See, God was like, no, no, I, I don't want just any tent. It's, it's got to be detailed. Because God loves putting together those details. And, and there's meaning behind every detail. And when you have very specific instructions to follow all that, they had to bring in people that could do, follow the instructions. And so they brought in skilled people who were detail-oriented to put it together. And, and the thing is, God didn't necessarily need a tent Solomon talks about how God cannot be contained by buildings. And yet, God wanted that tent there as a reminder that he was in the center of their camp. He was with them. As they camped, he too would camp with them. And with that in mind, let me ask you, did you recognize God among you this past week? Did you recognize God in your daily life this past week? Pastor Stephen challenged you last week to, to look for God in places 
that maybe you normally wouldn't. Because God shows up in the unexpected places. So did you notice him? In the hours after the, the service last week, uh, I had the, the pleasure of going to the Peterborough Zoo with everybody else in Peterborough. It was such a lovely day. It was packed. And it, but it was so nice just to, to be outside in the sun. Like summer is pretty much here. And, and to, to look at the animals, to see the, the otters and the, the monkeys. And, and as I looked at the, the monkeys, I was a bit jealous to be able to see them swing and get from, like, one point of the compound to the other point of the enclosure, like, if I tried to do that, I would most definitely pull something. Like, why, why couldn't I be able to do that and get around in trees that way? That would be so cool. And yet, that's not the way God created me. And I'm sure... That's not the way God created you. Maybe some of you can do that. But I'm sure many of us can't swing, swing on trees like that. And yet, Paul reminds us in his letter to the church in Colossus, or Colossae, the letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 16. He writes, for everything was created by him, being Jesus, being God, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And if we truly believe this, if we let that truth sink down deep in our hearts, in our minds, and realize that we are part of that and that God put detail into us, how would that change us? Like, why do we go a moment thinking that God would not also be just as detailed in his plan and creation of us? Remember, God created you because he didn't want a world where you didn't exist. And as much as it would be great to swing from the trees like those monkeys, God didn't create me that way. And yet he created me with talents, abilities, and purposes. And the same is true for you. Same is true for you. You were made with a specific set of skills, talents, and abilities in a unique position with, a, with unique connections to impact our world in a way no one else can. Okay? You were made with a specific set of skills, talents, and abilities in a unique position with unique connections to impact our world in a way no one else can. Uh, best-selling author, Dr. Uh, Tim Elmore, who I actually had the pleasure of, of hearing 
and who I mentioned because it's not just me spouting some random fact that may or may not be true. Uh, this Dr. Tim Elmore enjoys reminding people that even the most introverted people, all the introverted people, keep your hands down because I know you're not going want to want to raise them anyway. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Tim Elmore said that even the most introverted people influence an average of 10,000 people in their lifetime. 10,000! You have the chance to influence, on average, 10,000 people in your life. Between family, friends, acquaintances, by the way you act, the way you speak, what you do. People notice it. And sometimes we forget the fact that we have influence where we are and how we are. And, and here's the thing. If you don't embrace your importance, if you don't embrace your talents and your abilities, and even your weaknesses, you miss out on you, and we miss out on you. You miss out on the you you were created to be, and our world misses out on the you you were created to be. To be. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a world that misses out on you. If you are still conscious, you have a purpose and divine significance to be realized. Now, just because you fall asleep doesn't mean your purpose is temporarily on not happening. In the Psalms, there, there's so much wisdom and so much um, humanity that is written in the Psalms of, of heartfelt, God, hear me. God, listen to me. And also, God, I know this to be true. And in this, in Psalms 139, which many believe was written by King David, Psalms 139, verses 13 to 18, you can read, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. Workmanship. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And then I wake up. You are still with me. You are still with me. 
Now, my knowledge of baby development is extremely limited. Um, I know some general stuff. I know terms, trimester, don't ask me about them. And I know we have some pretty incredible, incredible technology to look at babies as they are being formed in the womb. Don't ask me about them. I just know they're out there. But the, the, the psalmist had no idea of what we can now see today and the incredible detail put into a child as it grows. And yet, he still knew that, that this baby was intricately detailed as, as it grew by God. And, and he says this word, workmanship. Workmanship. He says, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Do you know that you are God's workmanship? If you've ever seen an incredibly detailed wood carving or incredibly detailed painting, whether you are a detailed person or not, you can look at that and say, that is incredibly well done, and I probably can't do that. I say that a lot with even some basic drawings <laughs> and, and artistic stuff. But you look at it and you say, wow, the time and effort and ability that must have went into that is incredible. The workmanship. Whew. And the psalmist says, you are God's workmanship. I am God's workmanship. That's what he's talking about. Your workmanship, I know it well. In fact, because I am that workmanship. And his response is, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Thank you. And in verse 17, the psalmist says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. How many of you have ever been starstruck? Okay, you've met someone that you've looked up to that, that maybe you never thought you'd meet or you just respected, um, whether their, their talents, their abilities, their wisdom, and, and you met them for the first time and you were starstruck. Well, I remember in 2011, I was working at the, the Ottawa International Airport, and I was not being maybe the best employee at the time because I was reading something, I can't remember, but I wasn't looking at customers entering the store. And somebody entered and put a hotel key card on the, the counter and asked me if I could uh, throw it out for him. And uh, I said, yeah, sure, as I looked up, and I threw it out, and the voice, I was like, I know that voice. That voice is really familiar. And, and I looked at the gentleman as he 
uh, walked around the store looking at different items, uh, and, and I was like, no. No, that can't be. There's no way. And, and I'm, I'm thinking through this. I was like, okay, this can't, this can't be who I think it is. And, like, the fact that I think it is, I'm, like, my mind's playing tricks on me. And so I'm going back and forth, like, yes, no, yes, no. And he, he picks up a few things to purchase, puts them on the counter, and puts his credit card on the counter, but says, don't ring it through yet, I'm going to grab more things. And I cannot confirm this at all, but I almost think he wanted me to know who he was. I can't confirm that, okay? But with that credit card sitting on the counter, I was able to look at the name and quickly write down the numbers and expiry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and and I, I was like, oh my goodness, I was right. And after he grabbed some more things, he came up to the counter and I proceeded to ring through items for William Shatner. And, and that was kind of a cool moment. And, and I, at the time, I, maybe, maybe I just wasn't aware of myself, but I felt like I had kept a pretty cool demeanor. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, you're just an, another customer, like, put you through. And then afterwards, I did ask if it was okay to get his autograph, which I don't have anymore. Um, I don't know what happened to it, but, uh, but yeah, and then he left the store. And then I quick, after he left, I quickly called uh, my best friend and, and said, you'll never guess who was just in the store. You'll never guess. And so I proceeded to, to tell him all about it, much, much to the disappointment of all the other customers in line waiting to be served. Um, no, <laughs> it was a dead day. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, and it almost hit me after the fact. I was like, oh, my goodness, did that just happen? And it was, it was just kind of cool to meet someone of such social significance. And yet, the psalmist, that brings me back to the psalmist, what he writes. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. Now, William Shatner was probably not thinking, hey, this guy's pretty awesome. Like, I'm, I'm so glad this guy's here. No, he was just like, I got to get some stuff, and this guy's here, awesome, great, out. Right? And yet the psalmist writes, God thinks about you. God thinks about you. Let that sink in. In the moments when you feel lonely, in the moments that you're having the best time of your life, in the moments you're sleeping, in the moments you're doing all-nighters, if you any of you still do those, God's thinking about you. He says, the, the thoughts, I, don't e I can't even count them. They're more than the sands of the earth. God thinks about you. If every moment of every day I realized that the Jesus we celebrated at Easter 
in his death and resurrection, if I realize that that Jesus thought of me and I kept that in my mind, how would that change me? There's moments when I'm tired, when I don't know what to do. How would that change me? How would that change you? It's at times when I forget or neglect the fact that God created me with so much detail and purpose that I don't live up to my potential. It's the times when I forget that God has not forgotten, that I don't live up to all that I was created to be. So remember, God is thinking about you. And, and some people, and maybe this is you, this was me at a time, and still sometimes, unfortunately. We, we see God and say, okay, maybe he's thinking about me, but those thoughts ain't good. God's thoughts about me are angry or disappointed. Or he's ready, ready to punish you. And I'm sure that Peter, the, the disciple who denied Jesus after being with him, spending time with him, I'm sure Peter knew this all too well. He probably thought on the, after Jesus was resurrected that, uh-oh, Jesus is probably not thinking too great about me. And I think it is with that grace that Peter received after going through what he went through, doing what he did, and, and Jesus saying, hey, no, no, no I'm going to use you. You're, you're still, you still have a purpose. I think it is with that grace that Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter, eight, or chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be alert, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. See, Jesus is said to be the Lion of Judah. Jesus has many, many different titles, names, descriptions, and one of them is the Lion of Judah. And Peter knew that the accuser, the one against God and his plan, would impersonate, do his best to impersonate, or make you think of God in a way that was not God. And, and it breaks my heart when people say, I can't serve a God who blank. Or, I, I don't, I don't want to believe in a God who blank. Or, I think God is angry at me. Because I, I think what Peter is writing is, he's saying, listen, what you think of as God is a bad impersonation of him. Very flawed. And so I'm heartbroken at the people that, that see God and equate him with something that is not him. Because in many times, when those comes up, is I'm right there with yeah. 
I don't want to follow a God with those descriptions because I know that's not God. And if you could just see the beauty of the creator, I hope your heart would change. If you think that God is doing anything but trying to bring you to truth, life, and joy in Jesus, then I think, may I humbly say, I think you've been misled. I hope that everyone can find hope in the words of Paul. And if you follow Jesus and you claim him as your king, this is your hope and truth to hold on to. If you don't follow Jesus and claim him as the ruler of your life, that can so easily be changed. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask for Jesus to change it and to change your heart. You don't have to do anything crazy or anything that is taskless and say, hey, God, because of what Jesus did, I need you. And let him change your heart. And here's what Paul writes. He wrote to the church in Ephesus, less than 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, he writes, But God, who is so rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us and for you, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is God's gift, not from works, not from what you can do, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. There's that word again, workmanship. For we are his workmanship. And oh, what an amazing workmanship it is. Now, I said at the start that, that Joanna is a detailed person, and I'm not. And I used to believe that. And... I realize that it's not true. Now, Joanna is, in fact, a detailed person. But so am I. And so are you. See, asking, are you detail-oriented, I think that everyone should have raised their hand. Because everyone has passions and abilities that care about details in different areas. You have passions and abilities and talents where you care about details in certain areas. 
Maybe it's in art. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in writing. Maybe it's in what you build or what other people build. Maybe it's in cars. It can be any numerous of places. You care about details in some areas. And that's a beautiful thing. I am not good with cars. I know very basic stuff. I know who to take my car to. And that person is a detailed person when it comes to cars. And I'm so glad that he is. Because I don't think you should bring your car to me if you need something fixed in your engine. I would probably take it to him and then charge you 10% on top. No, I'm just kidding. But we need your talents, your abilities in this world. We need the detail that you bring. You are God's workmanship because he didn't want a world where you didn't exist. He didn't want a world where the detail that he put in you did not exist. And you, as Paul writes, were created for good works only to be realized fully through Jesus Christ. As Jesus restores each one of us, restores our hearts, restores our minds, and refines those details that he put in us. We can then live them out in a way that brings detail and beauty to our world, where we are with the people we are. Your unique personality is strong at some things and not so great at others. You have weaknesses, I'm sure you know that but you also have strengths. Learn who you are. Learn more about yourself, who God created you to be. Learn more about your personality, your strengths, your weaknesses. Leverage it and let it reflect the love of Jesus. You know, I find sometimes people get these personality tests and they use it as a way to justify their flaws. Oh, I'm just that type of person. Like, that's, that's just not me. And it's good to know your weaknesses. But that's where you can value the strengths of other people. You can work on your weaknesses. And you can trust that God will show up in those weaknesses. Don't let your weaknesses become something that you allow to just be. Recognize them. Lean into them in a way that can include others and include God to bring about beauty where you are challenged at it. So in knowing all this, in realizing that you are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I want you to make a practice this week of marking down your unique skills, how your unique skills, talents, and abilities 
along with your unparalleled experience and unique position where you are with who you are. Mark down, try, try and write down seven times where God's workmanship was realized in you. Write down where God's workmanship was realized in you. Maybe it's one a day. Maybe there's two things a day. I, uh, this past week, had the ability, somebody, somebody called me up and said, hey, my car's dead. Any chance you could help me out? Thankfully, I had the very limited knowledge and tools to go and help that person out. Wasn't anything crazy. Wasn't any, I had the time, the resources. What can you do with your time, your resources, your abilities? Because God can bring beauty in that. And as, as I was preparing this, uh, this talk, and, and I was talking with Joanna about it, um, she actually pointed out to me the words of, of author Anne Boskamp. I may have butchered that last name. But. And, and she writes, You were made for the place where your real passion meets compassion because there lies your real, person, your real purpose. And then Joanna so eloquently paraphrased it, your purpose is found where your passion meets compassion. Your purpose is found where your passion meets compassion. You were created by God's incredible detailed workmanship for good works. Now again, this may may not seem like a big deal or may seem a bit inconsequential, but if you don't use your position, your abilities, for your unique opportunities, nobody else will. I don't want to live in a world that misses out on you. Because I believe that we miss out a bit on what God created. You are incredibly important. And imagine if we all did just a little bit more leaning in into the workmanship that God created us to be. How much better our church, how much better our community, how much better our world would be if we did that. How much more would we experience the hope, the life, the love, and the joy of God with us? Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, that's all well and good on God's workmanship, but what about those flaws? What about the sickness? What about the things that, that I really struggle with? God's workmanship may not be so great. What about my addictions? What about my anxiety or depression? What about these flaws? Did God mess up in his workmanship? And yet, one thing I so greatly appreciate about the, the Jewish scriptures and the gospels and the letters written to the early church is that it does not make light 
of the brokenness in our world and the brokenness in people. It doesn't make light or distort or or gloss over the the damage that all this brings to our world. Brings death, decay, disease. And yet this morning we come to the communion table, to the last supper. And this is where I think it makes more sense. In, in those moments when we were given the opportunity to choose life and joy and health and, and the, the leaning into the details of the workmanship that God created, history has shown that many times that has not happened, that we have rejected God and his purposes for us. And so that's where we come to the cross and come to the Last Supper. Because those flaws, they do need to be repaired. And I believe that can only happen through Jesus, through the Creator. And the meal that they had, the meal that Jesus ate with his followers, with his disciples, before he died, it wasn't just any meal. It was a a Seder meal. And in this meal, they had four cups of wine. And they represented four key themes. And Jesus, with his disciples, would have drank the first two. The first one carries with it the expression, I will bring out. The second one, I will deliver. And then we get to the third cup, which Jesus does not drink. Instead, he passes it around to his disciples. And this one holds the significance of I will redeem. I will redeem. For it was Jesus' act on the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit, which they received after, that God would redeem. And the final, which Jesus said he would not drink until his kingdom was fully established, I will take. I will take. And, and as we eat and drink together, I would encourage you to, to get uh, your, your cups ready, to, to pull back that uh, cellophane wrapper to get the, uh, the little uh, cracker. But as we eat and drink, it is with that hope in mind of Jesus' return and full restoration of the creation that he made, which is you and I and everything else. 
And it's the hope in that final cup that we can drink together and say, God has taken it back and redeemed it fully. Now I'm going to invite the, uh, the music team to come up and uh, I'm going to wait actually for them to come up and we will eat together. And then we will finish with a song. Mark chapter 14 verses 22 says that as they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed it, and broke it. He gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. And if we're all ready to take together, I think this is, this is important to do together. Let's take, eat. Then in Mark chapter 14, verses 23 to 25, it says, Then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let us drink together, thankful for his redemption. Father, we are so grateful for your incredible workmanship in the beauty that we see around us, for creating the building blocks for what we can then use with our talents and abilities to make new creation. Father, I thank you for the incredible workmanship in each person in this room, each person watching online. God, in the, in the workmanship that you've put into the people of our community and our world. Father, help us to recognize our own workmanship. The incredible detail that you have put into us. And Father, in that brokenness, in those moments where we have rejected you and brought about the opposite of beauty and newness. Father, we ask that you would redeem it. And we are so thankful that you have made a way by the power of Jesus Christ on the cross and in his death, but not only in his death, but in his resurrection, which we celebrated a few weeks ago, that we can find that redemption, that newness, in hope that you, that Jesus will return again. And so, Father, for all of this, I thank you. May you bring to mind this week moments where you have used us, our talents and our abilities, to express your character 
your ability to create, your beauty, your life, your joy, your hope. Help us to realize that this week. Pray this in your name. Amen. Mark chapter 14, verses 26 says, After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, I don't think any of us are going to the Mount of Olives today. But let's close with, close with a reimagined hymn, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.